Hello and welcome to Automators, the automation podcast about making all of your technology, all of your apps, all of your services and all of your things do your bidding for you. So you have like a little Roomba following you out around the house, making it you do all or doing all of your stuff for you rather than making you do all the stuff. Uh, either way, my name is Rosemary Rochit and I'm joined as always by David Sparks. Hey, David, how are you? I'm good, Rose, but you just inspired me. I think we need to do a show on robots. I don't know how that works. I don't have very many robots, but we should just do a show about all our robots at some point. Well, that sounds good. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we could program with uh, them with Scriptable or something. Yeah. Maybe we could use this RuneStone editor <laughs> to, to write some stuff. I don't know. I hear some great things are, uh, you know, just floating around as always from the wonderful Simon Stovering, who's a jo- agreed to join us again. Yeah. Hi. Uh, hey, D- hey, Rose. And hey, David. Um, super pleased to be here again. Thanks for having me. Well, Simon, you are one of our favorite automators. You make <laughs> applications that help us do automation better, but you're always coming up with really cool solutions. And um, and your thoughts on automation, I think, are really important to share with the community as a, as one of the kind of leaders in this space. And we really appreciate you coming back. Yeah, I mean, let's see if you if you're actually going to appreciate all my thoughts. I mean, you, you you gave me some homework, some things to think about, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm not, Let's let's see if you'll appreciate all the thoughts I have at least. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, anything is you know, I we don't all have to agree on everything. It's okay. We can still love each other. That's what I say. Yeah. Um, Simon, uh, for folks who don't know, I mean, you've been a prior guest on the show, but just for the folks who don't want to go back and listen to that one, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and where you are and what you're doing. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Simon, and I'm an um, an indie developer slash. Not really an indie developer, um, so I have a full-time job working at a traditional agency. That's that's my day job, and then I like to say that in the evening I'm an indie developer. I don't really know if that that qualifies as an indie developer, but that, that's how I like to think about it. Um, and I do apps like uh, you. Before you mentioned Scriptable, that's one of them. An app for programming, um, writing small programs in JavaScript on your iPhone and iPad. I do Roomstone, a classic plain text editor. Um, an app called JSON for browsing JSON and DataJar, a, um, a database that's built for shortcuts. And many of these apps have this like in, this thing in common that they're really meant for power users like uh, you, Rose, and, and David. Um, and that also means that they they tend to tie a bit into shortcuts. I mean, RuneStone doesn't, but the, the three others do. Yeah, I mean, you really are someone who it strikes me as like you're scratching your own itch. You like automation. When the tool isn't there that you need, you just build it. <laughs> you know, I love that. Yeah, um, I mean, I I usually have this saying that there um, you're not that special, uh, meaning that if if there's something you as a developer need or me in this case, then build it, and and it's likely that that others will enjoy it because yeah, you're, you're not that special. Probably others have the same needs, uh, and that's that's kind of how I go about my software development. If there's something I feel like I I need and that could be fun to build and that I could actually build, then I'll, I'll usually go around, uh, go ahead and do it. Yeah, but you go to the next level with it because, I mean, so many people uh, will, like in your shoes with your skill set, might make a little quick and dirty tool to do what you need. Something that you keep for yourself, you know, that isn't necessarily very pretty or whatever, but gets the job done. But you always take it to the next level. And you share it with people like me because I don't have the ability to make things like RuneStone or you know the apps that you make. DataJar, for instance, is something I use so often, and uh, I really appreciate that you put it out there for the world. and And uh, anybody listening to the automator should absolutely check out 
this this website with all these great apps that he's made because uh, we got to support guys like you that are are bringing these tools out for us. Sure, thanks. Yeah, I mean it's just it's a it's a lot more fun to build something. Well, it's it's fun to build something for yourself, but I also think it's it's just fun to think of apps and products in general in this like bigger space that what would others want and how can I how can I tweak this small thing a bit so so others will like it as well um and it just it requires a bit more polish of a product that I I mean that I quite enjoy doing um because if you just build something for yourself as you mentioned you might not polish it that much because I don't feel like you have the time I don't feel like you want to or something like that but I, I quite enjoy that part of the process um yeah making things nice it's, and it's also probably fun. And so many programmers I know are like puzzle solvers, you know, for lack of a better mm. term. And like uh, spending your free time solving these puzzles, figuring out ways to make these things happen. I can see where you probably enjoy it, but do you ever uh, see yourself kind of going all in as an indie developer or or do you like doing it as a side thing, side hustle too much? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't really know. I mean, of course, I've I've had the thought, like many others, doing software development. I guess that yeah. that I that I mean has has been on my mind. But I right now I kind of enjoy this um, this mix of two things, like having a full time job, having my colleagues uh, yeah. doing great things with them in a team, and then having this other thing on on the side. I mean, it kind of suits me pretty well. Well, that's good because uh, I think it's one of those things where uh, you have to actually be happy. With what you're doing, don't you? You you don't want to be, you know, just grinding stuff, grinding apps out because you you have to make them. I feel like a lot of developers make m- amazing products and and apps when they're doing something that they actually really enjoy doing. And as you said, you know, putting that extra polish on there with the with the perspective that somebody else is going to look at it. And if you're, you know, if you do it all day every day, some people that works great for, um, and other people that might not work so great for. And as it is, we're getting some great, really, really useful apps from you, um, which I know. Uh, I use DataJar multiple times a day, every day. I don't even think about it anymore. It just happens. Um, but that is so useful to to have as just, you know, that tool that is always there for me that I, I may not otherwise have, um, you know, if, if somebody else, you know, or if nobody had made that. Um, so thank you. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, I hope that it kind of shows in, in some of my apps that this is, this, is, this is a passion rather than a, you know, a, a nine to five that, oh, I just... I need to get this app done now and get it out of the door. I mean, that, and that that's not intended as a step or for of like you know anyone. I mean, it's totally fine. Others are doing great, uh, great apps, but just that's just nearly, not really my angle here. It's just mm-hmm. it's it's a hobby. It's a passion, and I mean that that also means that I can just I can take my time with with things and give them the polish that I think they need. Um, and I yeah, I just I kind of hope that sh- that shows. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I remember uh, seeing uh, all of those betas of, of RuneStone, which we'll have to get to in a bit, going out on Twitter and thinking, gosh, this app has been in, in beta <laughs> for a long time, but not in a bad way that it was there for a long time, just like you were really taking your time to to try and get it right and, and so on. And it's always, you know, interesting watching any developer go through their own individual process of how they solve things, because much like the way that David or I may go through um, automations trying to solve our problems and looking at various angles and so on, you know, you can see this a similar sort of process for you in in your development process. Um, and uh, I, I certainly find it very interesting. You know, I always keep an eye on your Twitter trying to see what's coming up and 
you know, what what may or may not be uh, going on. And I know, uh, you know, a lot of uh, my friends are, are the same. And, you know, I, I frequently get messages from people after I've told them about one of your apps going, oh, my gosh, did you know about one of other another one of Simon's apps afterwards? So I introduced a friend to Runestone recently. He sent me a message going, oh, my God, have you heard about JSON? It's amazing. It's like, yes, <laughs> yes, I, I know JSON, but I'm glad you're finding these things out again. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Thanks. I mean, that that really means a lot to, to hear. Um, yeah, that's. That's like part of the reason that I do it. Um, that that other others find find joy in these apps as well. Um, yeah, Simon, tell us tell us what you know because I know you build automation tools, but obviously you're automating as well because you're making these tools to scratch your own itch. What are some of the interesting things you've automated recently with your technology? Oh yeah, um, I think like um, as you mentioned, I, I'm a developer, so most of my time I spend there. Um, like automating things that are development related. Um, so, like recently, I've been playing around with some continuous uh, integration for some of our like um, code bases at work. You know, to just polish those and that that doing that. You know, tweaking the flow for uh, publishing apps from from development to production or taking apps from development to production. That's like a, there are so many steps involved in that, and you really want to automate it, and it's not really at all different from building a shortcut or something like that. But that's that's some of the things that I spend a lot of my my day job on these days, automating this this whole um, flow for the employees at the company that I'm working for. And obviously, that it's, it's basically the same thing for my own projects. There's also a lot of automation involved in, um, in building my apps, maybe because I enjoy putting the automation in there because you certainly don't need to do or like automate part of your development um, setups if you don't want want to if that's not your thing. But it is my thing. I I, I quite like automating these parts. So just mm-hmm. like part of the way that Runestone's documentation is built. I mean that's all automated from writing uh, writing the documentation in line with my with the the code that makes up my app to like publishing on it on the website. Um, but I'm guessing that's not really what you want to hear about. Well, you probably well, want to hear about actually, some of the shortcuts automations. It really is. <laughs> oh, okay. it, it is because it's whatever you you actually end up using day to day, and you know, so so you know, conti- continuous integration and development and and mm-hmm. deployment is something that may be a slightly alien concept to to many of our our listeners. But you know, essentially, if you think about a process where you know you've got um you know the 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 area where you're doing you know your preparation work, and then mm-hmm. you've got the part where somebody said, right, okay, this this bit's ready to go. This bit can you know go go out to production. Then you know when when that whenever that happens, you know something gets published, an email gets confirmed that it could be sent, whatever it is. Then this entire process kicks off and actually you know does all of the actions that's involved. So you know I I, I don't know what actions are involved for you, but if it, maybe it was a website update, then it could potentially update part of the website, automatically send out a marketing email. You know if it was a, a new product being added to the website, that may may or may not happen or something, you know, and, and this sort of thing ends up, you know, it sounds very complex and technical sometimes, but it's essentially, as you said, it's shortcuts just on a slightly different scale, you know, instead of uh, Lego, it's Meccano um, or something yeah. <laughs> similar. Does, does anybody else know what Meccano is? I, I feel like I'm I'm possibly on my own here. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Yeah, we, we used that in school for, I think, some math, math classes or so. Uh, I have vague memories of this. <laughs> Well, at least it's not just me. I just remember my dad talking about Meccano. He had a Meccano kit as a kid and absolutely loved it and uh, did did a lot of building and, and so on with it, which, you know. Isn't, 
Meccano, that's the that's the sticks with their um, the magnets, right? Yeah, I yeah, think it is, yeah, yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, we had that. Yeah, well, there we go. A minor detour taken, but yes, turns out Meccano, by the way, is still available um, and uh, is actually available for sale on Amazon. So there we go, folks. I apologize to everybody's Christmases, um, but I will put a link to the Wikipedia page in the show notes. <laughs> Well, you know, and also I'd say as someone who's not setting up development environments, the fact that development is so closely related to text, there is a benefit for anybody who writes from hearing the stuff uh, uh, developers and programmers are doing. Because a lot of times those automations you guys develop for development platforms can uh, be adapted to working on text. And anybody who writes should be interested in text automation. So I, I find value in that as well. Um, so, but I was also thinking um, something you and I have never talked about. So I'm just kind of dropping this one on you. Is like in my mind because you make all these apps that you are like you know super efficient at your Mac. Like when you sit down, do you have like automated setups for like going into doing work versus you know working on your blog or things like that? Do you have you automated all that stuff too, or um, do you do that manually? Oh yeah, um, I, I see what you mean. Um, I think I'm, I'm. I'll have to disappoint you there, David. Um, most of my workflows are when I'm sitting at the Mac. They are actually quite manual. Um, yeah. I. I think it's like it's it's the good old like how how long does does it take to set up this automation versus how many times do I have to do it manually for it to be worth setting up the automation, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure that on, on some of my tasks, I have crushed that barrier where I should have automated it years ago, but I just keep asking myself the question um, if, if that's actually the case. Um, no, and I, I think part of it is also just like whenever I have some time for for building like some of my own apps, I, I tend to want to spend the time on that. So that's yeah. usually my evenings and my um, my weekends. Uh, versus automating it. So if I'm automating something, it's usually because it's like obviously going to save me time in the long run or because I really need this to be, um, what do you say, like uh, safe. I don't, I can't really allow human errors in this in this part of mm-hmm. the process. Um, yeah. So th- those are usually the, the, the things that I tend to automate. Um, not, as, not, not really as much like my own you know, workflows for setting up... Um, I don't know what it could be like Windows and so on. Um, I, I don't really do that. That's fair enough. It's one of those things where, uh, you know, it, it, it can definitely be a time sink. I know that I must have spent hours, for example, playing with Bunch um, and other similar apps um, that I've, I've used to do these things. And it occasionally gets me into a little bit of a pickle. I, I spent half an hour the other day trying to figure out why Discord was starting on startup on my Mac um, and I couldn't track it down. Mm-hmm. Turns out, I think I'd set it in the Discord settings itself, um, but I was looking, I went through Keyboard Maestro. No, not there. I went through Bunch. No, not there. Um, and I, I, you know, I spent quite some time like trying to figure out why is this happening? Like there is no logical reason for this to be happening and found it in the really obvious place. Um, and uh you know, uh, that's that that can be sort of the downside of these things. And you know, are you willing to once once you set this stuff up, spend the time maintaining it and tweaking it? But also, it can just be a, a lot of fun to you know get started with all these things and 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 see what you can do with it. As I find it often ends up giving me other completely unrelated ideas. Yeah, and that, that's actually um, a super co- good point you have there because I mean, I I hate to admit this, or I'm a little embarrassed to admit it, but. 
I mean, I, I enjoy automating things, but I really, really hate maintaining them. And I really, really hate when things go or um, break down. Um, mm. I can get really frustrated if I have, you know, a week ago, I set up an automation and then for whatever reason, a week after, it doesn't work. Maybe because there's some edge case that I didn't think of or whatever. That will get me really frustrated because then it interrupts my workflow. Now, now, now it's even worse than when I did it manually. Now I have to fix this. I have to stop what I'm doing. I have to fix this workflow. And I think, or I know that's part of the reason that some things I just never get around to automate because I just, I dread for the day that it stops working. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. And and there is like this sense of betrayal, you know, it's like I put all this time into it and now it's not doing exactly what I want. And then you say, well, I'm never going to do that again. And, and I, and I do think that one of the topics that we try to like circle around on this show is, is these various automation platforms because some are more reliable than others. And I think mm. people who want to automate need to kind of make smart decisions about where they automate different types of problems if they want to get that reliability. But I, I totally get it. And and I also like the idea that, you know, oh, I don't build, you know, uh, uh, tweaky little automations so much as I build apps. And, uh, mm. you know, it's like the difference between, you know, sharpening your chisel and cutting wood. And I get it. Yes, I think it's it's one of those things where it also depends on on who's doing uh, the thing, right, as to how they solve the problem. You know, some people will see um, the, uh, a problem of there's a pile of rocks here and we need the pile of rocks over there. And some people will just grab a wheelbarrow and they'll start moving them. Some people will just pick up rocks um, and start moving them with their hands. And other mm-hmm. people will build, um, you know, a little uh, automation platform that will pick up the rocks and move them to where to somewhere else and, and potentially even you know, plan for the future of the time where we're not going to need to move rocks from pile A to pile B, but instead some of them will need to go from pile A to pile B and some of them will need to go from A to C. Um, And how do we, how do we differentiate between these rocks? You know, how do, how, how can I get the camera to automatically recognize the size of this rock? (laughs) Um, And, and, and that's the point where it gets much more difficult. There's an uh, excellent XKCD of um, somebody uh, asking a developer to uh, to build um, uh, something that recognizes whether or not somebody was in a national park when they took a photo. Um, and the developer's like, yep, that's fine. And then we want you to automatically recognize which kinds of birds are in that. I'm going to need 10 years on a team of engineers. Um, you know, it goes from simple, like, are these GPS coordinates within this range of GPS coordinates, yes or no, to, and I need a computer to identify this. It's It's sometimes very easy to accidentally start doing overkill with your automations. And it's also very interesting seeing that some people are the kind of person who will, you know, find, uh, build, build, a, build a solution to the problem rather than do the solution to the problem, um, if yeah. that makes sense. Not that you're not solving the problem, but you're, you're building a, a, di- a different way of solving the problem, which is very, very cool. Yeah, I think your example with the, the real barrel was, was excellent. You went from having a, a super simple problem that's moving the, uh, moving the rocks to having a, an overly complex problem. Um, yes. And automations can be like that uh, sometimes. That's not to say people shouldn't automate. I mean, this would be the wrong show to say that on, and, and that's not what I want to say. But we just we have to pick the, the places that we automate, that we spend our time right. Um, yes. And I think I'm a little picky when it comes to that. Yes, yes. Choose your battles wisely yeah. is always uh, always the, uh, the, the uh, good place to start. But the flip side of that is, get a lot of good tools them you know if you, to use the battle analogy if you've got more weapons mm-hmm. you can you can do more battle and but also you know you if you're going to go into battle to do automation why not have some good tools and that's what Simon is bringing to the table 
This episode of The Automators is brought to you by Masterclass. Go to masterclass.com slash automators this holiday and give one annual membership and get one for free. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. With over 180 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. With Masterclass, you can learn the art of negotiating from Chris Voss. Discover the art of business strategy with Bob Iger, the guy who ran Disney. Learn cooking from Gordon Ramsay. Or or learn about disruptive entrepreneurship from Richard Branson. I recently took a masterclass from Petra Collins called Capture Your Vision Through Photography. I really like photography, but I've never really had the eye of a photographer. At least I didn't really know how to go about it. In this course, we got hands-on instruction from Petra Collins. I learned about lighting, portraits, and how to take a picture of my subject, and creating my own photo series. The lighting part in particular was really helpful for me. I never really understood the idea of backlight and how to use it. Every time I tried, I made the photo worse. Well, Petra taught me how to do this right, and now my pictures look better. The point is, there's something for everyone in Masterclass, and I highly recommend you check it out. This holiday, give one annual membership and get one free. Go to masterclass.com slash automators now. That's masterclass.com slash automators. And our thanks to Masterclass for their support of the Automators podcast and all of Relay FM. So, Simon, uh, you know, you have uh, a sort of uh, armory at your disposal, (laughs) essentially, if we're continuing with the battle analogy. Um, And, of course, the first thing that got you onto Automators and and grabbed David and and my attention was Scriptable. Um, And, you know, we just kind of wanted to check in on Scriptable. It's obviously still there, uh, still in the App Store. I was using it just the other day um, and, uh, you know, having great fun with it and, uh, you know, finding that it... It's, you know, still working just as well as ever, which is not a surprise. Um, and, uh, yeah, we were wondering what, what you think about Scriptable and how, how it's going. You know, are you still, you know, surprised potentially by how many people are using it? Um, it well, the short answer is yes, I am actually very surprised by how many people are using it. Um, I don't really pay attention to numbers like that, like how many times have my app been downloaded, how many people are using it, Um how many sessions do people have? You know, all of these metrics that some developers like to um, really s- optimize for and spend mm-hmm. their time investigating into depth and, you know, checking how many people that uses one feature and can you do some A-B tests to, automa- uh, to optimize all of that. Um, I don't really spend a lot of time on that. But uh, just, I think it was last or, or last week or the week before, I went to check how many people are actually using my app because I'm working on a big update for Scriptable and I needed some sense of like, who am I developing for? Where are they based? And so on. So I actually just checked these numbers recently and I got very surprised by how many people are using using Scriptable. And um, yeah, just it it kind of warms my heart that something that I that I thought of um, four years ago and that that I just built it as a hobby um, are still like going, going kind of strong this day to this day. Um, so that's that's nice. Yeah, it's it's always uh, interesting whenever I I run into folks and they're like, oh yeah, you know, I've been I've been writing um, lots of you know stuff in, in Scriptable recently, and I think because you've got things like the the widget support there and so on as well for for you know the home screen widgets, um, it it really is a, a great app where you can completely and completely 
program your own widget without having to write your own iOS app. And of course, you know, you've done all the heavy lifting in the back end so that, you know, um, the, the widgets themselves can be updated and so on automatically and, and things like that, which means that somebody who already knows um, a little bit of JavaScript can then say, okay, so I am going to, you know, if it's if it's a Tuesday, I'm going to try and get, um, you know, this comic. But if it's a Wednesday, I'm going to get this web comic. Um, mm. And, you know, and pull that in and display that in a widget. Or they can go really nerdy and complex and build their own, I don't know, uh, Todoist widget um, with JavaScript if they wanted to, which is really cool that, you know, that's something that's possible. And it's not just you know, get some data and, you know, do something that previously you couldn't do in shortcuts, you know, for a long time. A lot of us, myself included, were using Scriptable to edit reminders because editing mm. a reminder was not something that you could <laughs> do in in the shortcuts app. Um, and, you know, and and you came to our rescue and Alex Hay uh, did the same thing with Toolbox Pro. So there were two different ways of doing it. And then fortunately, the reminders team were like, oh, you mean you actually want to like change a reminder? Oh, that's not something we'd thought of, but I guess we can add that to shortcuts. Like, thank you. Thank you, Reminders team. That's that's good. Finally, catching up on what some other developers have been solving for you for the last couple of years. But uh, yeah, it's it's always, uh, you know, a strange, like watching, you know, other people solve these problems and, and the main app developers not necessarily doing it. But it's really good that Scriptable has been one of those ones that you can rely on to do that because it has got such good access to all things. Yeah, so I mean, and we just kind of jumped into it, but Scriptable, what it is, it's an app for your phone or your iPad. And it allows you to write JavaScript, which will automate your phone. It's like an alternative automation platform. But instead of using like shortcuts, you write JavaScript. But in addition, shortcuts can run these uh, JavaScript applets that you make. So you can add features to shortcuts, but you can also just use a separate platform. And even if you don't speak a lick of JavaScript, it comes with a bunch of nice ones built in to kind of get you a start. Um, I am the least qualified on this podcast to talk about it when it comes to JavaScript. I'm like a blind hog smelling for an acorn. You know, occasionally I find one. Um, But I'm able to cobble them together because JavaScript has such a big resource on the internet there's so many people that have shown you how to do stuff between that the samples um it really does give you some extra tools like rose was saying historically we would use it for to get around problems with reminders but there's always little bits of glue that you need for automation or maybe even something fancier that you can only do with a bit of javascript like i it's really great for calling out to the internet like you've got the built-in one for the current weather and the pollen count, I think those are excellent, where it's just going to the internet, figuring it out, and reporting back to you. And um, mm. it's it's a really interesting application. I think if you're interested in, in automation on iOS or iPadOS, this is a, a really good extra tool in your belt. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that, especially if you've got um, you know uh, complex data coming back, because Shortcuts has got the ability to do something like get contents of URL, um, and then, you know, whatever comes back, if it's um, a JSON or an XML, will be, you know, a dictionary that you can go through. But it's a bit tricky at times to to sort of hammer down into some of that data. And especially if you've got, say, arrays of data where, you know, it's a, it's a list with, um, you know, it could have anywhere between five and, and seven responses. It can be kind of tricky to, like, go through all of that. You'll end up nesting lots of repeats and so on to try and, and, and get all the way into it. But it feels like it's a lot easier in um, in, in Scriptable and, and JavaScript um, for a lot of this, just because, 
you know, especially JSON, it is JavaScript object notation. So it's not surprising that it's quite easy to manipulate. And I'm just very glad that Scriptable is there for those people who are, you know, they're willing to take a step up from from shortcuts to something that is, you know, going to make their life a little bit easier um, or a lot easier in some cases, but they can still, you know, use it as part of a shortcut. So you don't have to throw away everything that you've already done or replace the whole thing. You can just, you know, build the replacement to this, this chunk of actions in Scriptable and then replace that chunk and still have the rest of it in shortcuts where, where you feel comfortable. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, that's that's kind of, that's that's the motivation I had when I started developing Scriptable, which is now uh, more than four years ago. Back then, there was no shortcuts. It was it shortcuts. Uh, sorry, it was still called uh, Workflow. And yeah. um, as a developer, I thought that um, Workflow was super great, um, and shortcuts is super great uh, to this day. But it didn't really fit the way that I like to think about problems as a developer who's used to writing code. So these drag and drop blocks. Uh, I mean, that, that didn't really, it didn't feel flexible enough for me. I mean, I've gotten more used to it over the years, but back mm-hmm. then I was like, I, it, it's going to take me half an hour to make this uh, small program uh, in, in workflow or shortcuts, and I could do it in like five minutes in JavaScript. So that's really why I started building Scriptable back then. And I like to think of it as like what Apple Script was to automate us. Uh, yeah. No, what was it mm-hmm. called? The Mac app, Auto. Yeah, automator. automator. Yes. yes. Yeah. Automators, automators is the podcast. Automator is the yes. app. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I like to think of it as as what Apple Script was to automator back then. Uh, that was like yes. scriptable to workflow or scriptable to to shortcuts. And mm. and to your point, there are some operations on on data on maybe JSON in particular that are that's easier to do in JavaScript than it might be in shortcuts, especially if you're mm. like used to programming in in whatever language which was yes. part of the motivation for doing the run inline action a few years ago yes. so you can even have a shortcut and you can drag a json or a javascript block into your shortcut um so it lives within the shortcut and you can run a piece of javascript in scriptable even though you're running a mm. shortcut and i often use that to do uh, some data manipulation Yes. And also, um, you know, I, I think it's also not just necessarily for people who are uh, ready to move on from, from shortcuts to something more powerful, but also for people who are looking at shortcuts and they're not necessarily understanding how to process the data there. Um, some people, you know, just find that they're that doing things one way is easier than the other. You know, um, if you're left handed or right handed, you may find it easier to do certain things with your left hand or your right hand. But there are things that nearly every person does, you know, just with whichever hand works best for their brain. So, for example, I am right-handed. When I juggle, uh, if I'm doing three-ball juggling, I should start with two balls in my right hand. Uh, Mm. I can't do that. I have to start with two balls in my left hand. Why? I don't know. That's what my brain wants to do, and that's easier for me. And similar to that, some people may find it easier to to go through, um, you know, uh, data that they've got back from a URL in in code um, and and process it that way. Um, I certainly know that uh, debugging, figuring some of this data stuff out when your data structure is you know bigger or more complex is I find it a lot easier to do in Scriptable. So I've still got a lot of, of actions which are going through you know big big chunks of data that it's getting back from an API um, to pluck out the right the right bits uh, for me with with Scriptable just because I could do it in shortcuts. But drilling down to that that data and that level and and figuring out, you know, 
and which of the, um, you know, 16 array elements that I get back, you know, there's 16 items in this list that are returned and I need two of them. Which ones do I need? That's something that's very easy to do in JavaScript, not so easy to do in shortcuts. It can be done in shortcuts. It's just a little trickier to do. Um, so you you mentioned um, that scriptable isn't necessarily for people who are ready to move on from shortcuts to something more powerful. And I, I just wanted to mention that that's not really how I like to think about it either. Mm. I don't think scriptable is more powerful than, than shortcuts. In many ways, quite the opposite. Shortcuts is super powerful. I think more of them as two apps that can live side by side. I mean, yes. I started developing Scriptable way before, no, actually not way before, maybe like a few months, uh, four months before Shortcuts was a thing. Um, and I thought that it would be like, yeah, I, I didn't really have a plan for the app back then, to be honest. I was just building something on my own that I thought was fun. And then uh, Apple came along and introduced SiriKit. And it was immediately clear for me that this this is a companion to Shortcuts. So they introduced SiriKit in like June at AdoptUp uh, 2018, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And it just, it's scriptable immediately clicked for me. I knew that it had yes. to be a companion for shortcuts. Uh, so it was actually just one of the first shortcuts apps, I think we call them to these days, like, mm, yeah. you know, in the same category as Toolbox Pro. Um, yeah, yeah, with, um, Widget Smith. Um, Wid- no, not yeah, Widget uh, Smith, sorry. Uh, oh, Charlie, I've the that's name the of one the... I was thinking about. Yes, yeah. There, there's lots. There's lots of these great ones. And yes, you know, it, it's in some cases it can be for somebody who who wants to dip their toe into the programming world without leaving behind, you know, all of the the things that they've already mm. built and created with shortcuts. But in in other cases, it is an, a companion. Just like Apple, when they brought shortcuts to the Mac, they added a run Apple script action um, and run shell yeah. script and so on. Because yeah, all of these things can work together. So yes, that, that is a, a very good point. So at this point, Scriptable's been around a while. Um, where do you want to go with the app? I mean, do you have big plans or you just want to keep it running? I mean, what, what's your plan? That's a great question. Um, I do I do have big plans. Um, it's um, So for the past two years, I've been working on this, this other app, RuneStone. Um, and I have maybe not used that much time on Scriptable in the meantime because this other app has just taken up a lot of my time. And there's like a, a really good reason for that. So RuneStone is a text editor and Scriptable uses a text editor. That, that's a big part of the app. And sure. I wanted to build a, a custom text editor, my own text editor that I could bring into Scriptable. And that that happened to take a, a lot more time than I had imagined. Um, so bringing that into Scriptable is is like the next step. But that's just um, that's just a small step in like a, a, a bigger thing I want to do with Scriptable. So... Um, anyone who might have like followed me online for the past few months might have seen that I'm also working on on bringing or bridging JavaScript to Swift UI. So doing a, a one-to-one bridge between um, the JavaScript side of things and then native Swift UI components. So what I really want to do is making making it possible for people to use, if not all, then many of the the concepts that we're used to in Swift UI, Apple's new framework for for building UIs, and making making those available to people who are more comfortable with JavaScript. And uh, hopefully if everything goes as planned, because this is still in like the exploration phase, but but things seem to be turning out quite well. But if if they go well, um bring that into scriptable. Um so that's I think that's like that's that's the next step because, as I said uh, a few minutes ago, 
Scriptable really started out as a companion to Shortcuts, uh, at least when it launched, it was a companion to Shortcuts, but it has grown into something a little different than that. I mean, mm. these days, people are mostly using Scriptable to build um, widgets. I think just just this week, I got a, a mail from um, from a user uh, who lives in Ukraine and who built a widget that shows if... Uh, because, it, like, Ukraine, they have power outages these days. Mm. And yep. this user built a, a widget just shows if... If there there seems to be a power out outage based on on some metrics that that they have like built into this script, I haven't looked closely at the script, so I don't know exactly what it's doing. But it was just so heartwarming to get this support email because it was very positive. And this user was like, "See, I've I've built this, and people love it." Um, mm. Yeah, and that's just an example. People people are really using Scriptable to build widgets these days, and yeah. I I want to figure out like. How does Scriptable look in 2022, or maybe it's tw- it's likely 2023 before I can even think about launching uh, this next thing? Um, but how does it look now? Like mm. people have spent so much time building UIs into widgets, so I want to think about like how can I make that experience even better? Yes, yeah, that that is always something that some people really struggle with taking something um, from a very abstract context and visualizing what it looks like. Right, um, you know, it can be quite tricky. That's one of the reasons why I think uh, Widget Pack, that's the name of the app that I was trying to think of earlier. It has that preview action inside of Shortcuts. So as you're building your widget, you can actually preview what the widget's going to look like. Um, Yeah, that's super cool. Because otherwise, you know, you've just got this this abstract, okay, so I built like a, a, I built a text thing and then I I wrapped it in, um, you know, a a H-stack. So that's a horizontal stack. So if I put more things in that, then that's going across. And then I put that in a vertical stack. So then anything that I put underneath that is going to be going top down and trying to remember that and and visualize it in your head. And of course, the inverse of starting out with, I know that I want like this icon over here on the left. And then I want text on the right, which is like a title and then a subtitle and then some content, like trying to figure out how to translate that, especially if you're you're new to this stuff and you haven't worked uh, with, with SwiftUI and, uh, you know, or uh, CSS before where you had to try and figure out how to lay this stuff out can be very, very tricky. Um, there's, there's a reason why, you know, there's the folks who create the designs in Adobe InDesign or um, Publisher or similar, and then there's the folks who who write the code that make the design, and there there's not a huge amount of crossover between those in my experience. You know, there's there's some people saying this is what's going to look good, and there are some people going, and I will write the code that makes this thing do that. <laughs> Hopefully, fingers crossed, unless something goes very very wrong. Um, so, so uh, yeah, it's 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 certainly interesting, and I'm I'm looking forward to uh, the the beta of that when uh, whenever you get around to it. So uh, feel free to put me on the early beta list, and I will do my best to test it to its limits. I've I've been playing a lot with Swift Playgrounds recently and, and Swift UI, so fingers crossed I'll be able to translate that knowledge back into JavaScript. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see what you've got for us. Sure, I'll, I'll make sure to add you to the beta in, in many months' time, probably. <laughs> That's fine. What I really like about this is it's almost like kind of like the app going in full circle, coming back now to Swift, right? You know, where it started as a really an option to what Apple was doing or what was coming and now it's back in the middle of i don't know i just i like i like the idea of that and uh that is a yeah. that is a big plan I, I i asked you that question 
not knowing the answer and you really uh you have big plans simon it's very clear <laughs> yes <laughs> thanks yeah it, it, it is really uh it is really full circle I, I didn't really think of that because it definitely didn't start as a shortcuts companion but it turned into that and now i want to see what's what's the next step Yes, yes. I'm very glad at the beginning, though, that you mentioned that you, you had a, a big update coming to it. So, uh, yes, that's, <laughs> that's always good to hear. It's always very exciting whenever there are new updates coming. This episode of Automators is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a wager in a high stakes game for you and your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps the right people find your team faster and for free. Last time I was looking for a job, I swung massively between wildly overwhelming and insanely underwhelming. And you know what? One of the things that I made sure to do was check out every single company on LinkedIn. And you know what? Those purple hashtag hiring frames certainly helped me out. It is so quick to create a free job post to LinkedIn, and it literally just takes minutes. Then you add your job and that purple hashtag I just mentioned to your LinkedIn profile, spread the word that you're hiring, and simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience, so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. Meaning you can be sure to fish the strong with the right team member on board. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs can help you find qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash automators. That's linkedin.com slash automators to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Well, Simon, we've been talking about this new app, RuneStone, for a while. And so this is the first time we get to share this with the audience. RuneStone is a text editor and the way it stands for me, I, and I, I don't know if you intended this, but I've always felt like um, that the iPhone needed a BB edit, right? You know, an app that's just <laughs> really good with programming text and uh, made by a conscientious developer. And the very first time I downloaded RuneStone, that the exact vibe I got, I'm like, oh, we finally got BB edit on the iPhone. And uh, it really is a, a powerful text editor. I mean, the this is for some companies like a full-time thing. And you managed to put together one with code highlighting and just like a lot of great features in your free time. How'd you do it? And, uh, and how's it going? Um, yeah, well, um, thanks for the kind words. I, I never really, um, yeah, I, ne- I never really aimed to be like the, the BB edit um, <laughs> for iOS, quite the opposite. And I think BB edit does a ton more things than RuneStone uh, does currently and, and will ever do. BB edit is certainly a, a powerful tool. Um, but yeah, I, I, I started building RuneStone in December 2020, I think. Um, yeah, I think it was actually the 1st of December because I remember I was like, I'm going to take one month out of the, <laughs> of the calendar or of my spare time at least and see how far can I get building my own text editor. Because as I mentioned a bit earlier, I wanted a custom text editor in my app Scriptable, which obviously a big part of that app is um, a text view where you write um, JavaScript. Mm-hmm. And that has previously, uh, and actually still is to this day, day, based on some open source component that isn't um, that performant, especially not with large files. And I knew that if I wanted to take Scriptable to the next level, I had to build my own um, text editor for various reasons. So I wanted, I, I, I promised myself that I would spend a month doing that. And if it turned out to be 
promising after a month, then I would probably continue working on it or otherwise I'd scratch it. And mm -hmm. well, it, it, it did seem promising when uh, after a month uh, and I thought like, oh, okay, maybe a few more weeks, maybe a few more months and I'll be done. But it turned out that it took me like, I think one and a half year from I started the development to um, to the app being on the app store. And it, I never really intended it to be a standalone app. Um, so that's also why I'm, I'm very very happy to hear those uh, those words from you, David. Um, that's uh, yeah, um, that 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 really warms my heart. Um, because I never ex uh, expected it to be a standalone app. It's just um, this the standalone app that we have today was actually meant to be the example app for my open source framework. So sure. RuneStone is the core of RuneStone is released as as an open source framework that any developer can use. Uh, in their own app, um, and to accompany that open source framework, I had to build an example app to know, you know, show developers how to integrate it into their app and the features of the framework and so on. And as I was building that example app, I was just at one point I was just looking at it, thinking, "Hmm, this is actually the text editor that I wish existed for iOS because <laughs> it's super simple. Uh, yes. It uses this standard document browser. Um, people might." Think of it as like the files app, but it's like a UI component that developers can integrate into their own app, but it looks and behaves exactly like the files app. Mm -hmm. And when you select a file in, in that UI component, you just present it with a big text view. And that's basically it. And I just found yeah. myself thinking, this this is what I want. And from yes. there on, it, I just decided to release it as its own app. Yes, and it's available for free as well. There is uh, an in-app premium purchase, which I believe is um, $9.99 uh, US dollars. Yep. I know it was $8.99 over here in the UK, um, which unlocks all of the the extra features like line numbers and so on, because, you know, you did spend 18 months on this, so I think that's well-deserved. <laughs> um, but I find, you know, um, on my iPad, I tend to end up using uh, Textastic because it's got, you know, mm. uh, saved, saved folders and things like that, and I'm often using it to do um, edits on, you know, larger projects that I, I've got in from, say, working copy or similar. But on my iPhone, if I want to edit a text file um, or if I just want to do a quick edit on something on an iPad, then I will be reaching for RuneStone because, as you said, it starts in that file browser, the view that, you know, a lot of people are very familiar with. It's the same thing that Pages does. When you open Pages, unless you've already got a document open, you know, it takes you to that same view. Um, and, you know, it's it's really nice to just be able to go yep this is the file and okay it it knows that it's a php file and it opens it and it does syntax highlighting i've just opened uh, a little file called welcome to json.json um and uh <laughs> it, it's got all the syntax highlighting there automatically um you know obviously it recognizes what um a, a json file is um but it's also got you know the ability to do the simple things which are not so simple on ios like fix the formatting of something um, yeah. and, and other things, which, you know, I personally really appreciate, um, because if I'm editing something like a JSON file, you know, I, I just, you know, you don't need the formatting to be pretty, but you, you need the brackets to match. Um, and it's a lot easier to, to spot a problem when you've got good formatting on things. Um, so thank you for that. I, you know, I'm, I use it all the time. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it is just one of my, one of my little go-to apps, um, that, uh, I have for a number of, uh, things I've used for a number of things. I didn't realize um, the other day I, I was looking, I was like, what is this app in my in my app library? Um, and I was I changed the icon to use the blueprint icon, um, which <laughs> I, which confused me for a bit because uh, I actually really like the, the default icon, the textual icon. It's uh, just 
lines of text with different color blocks on. Um, but it, it's very, very nice. And uh, yeah, I think it's one of those things. I, I, I've, I use Runestone, but I use Runestone in a lot more places than I than I realized. I was looking for a new app uh, the other day, and I can put a link to this one in the show notes. I was looking for an app that could do um, HTTP requests. Um, so for folks who are going, huh, HTTP requests, it's the same as the get contents of URL in in shortcuts, but I just wanted to be able to do it uh, repeatedly uh, very quickly um, without you know building a shortcut for this. Um, mm. And so I looked and I was browsing through apps um, and then I found one and I realized that the update notes, which at that point were from a few days ago, they're from a few months ago now, said, oh, and I've switched to using the RuneStone editor from Simon Stover it's <laughs> open source. And I was like, okay, purchased, sold. Thank you very much. <laughs> that is the app that I am looking for. A developer who actually is, you know, not just using what you've done, um, but, you know, crediting you with it as well. Because, of course, you said it, it's it's open source and you've got a license that is allowing other people to to actually use it. Um, you know, I, I was really pleased to see there's, you know, there's not just this developer, but there's lots of developers out there using this framework. You know, clearly your your hard work is being appreciated by more than just the people using the app. Yeah, um, it's... The, the developer community have been, or like the at least the developer community on the iOS side have been surprisingly um, welcoming to this this open source framework. Um, it's gone a bit better than I hoped for when I when I started building it. Um, I really just built it because, well, I needed it, and I, I thought if if I needed, others might need it as well because there wasn't really any performant. Um, open source text editor with the feature set that I needed, you know, such as line numbers, uh, highlighting the selected line, um, no line wrapping, so, you know, you can mm-hmm. scroll horizontally. That's that's not really a standard thing on iOS either. And I couldn't find any open source framework that did all of this. Um, yeah, so it, it just felt natural to open source it and uh, have others, uh, other developers benefit from this if they wanted to. Because I think, like, these days we are seeing... Um, a bit more powerful apps on the, on the on the iPhone and the iPad than we have done previously, and um, so things like HTTP um, clients or API clients mm-hmm. or whatever we want to call them, um, at least to me, they they are quite new. I don't think we have had those uh, years ago, at least not this polish that we have to these days. Uh, to, yes, today. Um, so and it just these these apps also need a a performant text editor. Uh, it might not be as big part as big uh, a part of the app as it is in Runestone because that is like a text editor, but it's still an important part of the of those apps. Um, and I just I want those apps to be if I can somehow improve those apps if I can somehow help out I'd I'd love to and that's that's really the motivation with with open sourcing Runestone. Um, yeah, so I'm happy to see that the the HTTP client that you mentioned have ad- have adopted it as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things. I keep seeing it in in more and more places, um, and it, it's just really interesting finding all of these apps that are going. Hey, uh, we have text. Oh, wait, we we need to be better at text. How do we do this? Oh, thank you, Simon. 
I, I appreciate <laughs> the fact that you have already done the thing that makes us better at text. Text is a small part of our app, but we're going to use this. And, you know, also for anybody who is, um, you know, curious about, you know, what is the code behind RuneStone, you can go look at it on GitHub. It's it's there. Um, you know, the 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 source code for the for the text editor and and so on. And well, in fact, there's a lot there. There's also very in-depth documentation, which I've I've linked in in the show notes, but um, it seems to me I could be wrong. Uh, Simon, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. That the, the documentation mm-hmm. is really more intended for developers of uh, the of something that's using RuneStone rather than somebody who's planning on using RuneStone. Uh, because if you want to use RuneStone, you just use it. You just open it up, tap plus to create a file, or tap a file to open it, and and off you go. That's that's kind of it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, there's not really any documentation of RuneStone, the app. So that that's the thing. That's a mistake that I made. That I named the open source framework the same as the app, which have led to some confusion, um, understandably. But RuneStone, the app, there's not really any documentation for that. Um, I think I naively hoped that that wasn't necessary. It's just it's like a, just a thing that I haven't gotten around to yet, uh, and it's honestly a bit further down on my priority list than, than where I am right now. Um, but the, the documentation is certainly aimed for for developers who yes. wish to to adopt the framework. Um, well, I don't think you can really get any developer to adopt your framework if you don't like show them how to do it, if you don't have yes. great documentation. You shouldn't yes. expect them to, at least. Yes, but I can officially give uh, everybody the entirety of the, the necessary user documentation for uh, uh, RuneStone in about two sentences. Open the app and tap plus or tap on a document to open to create or open a document. You can modify the settings by tapping the settings icon in the top right. <laughs> Have a good day. Like it's it's very very simple. Um, and I think that's one of the things that is um so deceptive about this app, uh, because it it does just seem incredibly simple, um, when you look at it. Um, but when I think you know from from in my developer brain of all of the potential things that need to go into this. You know, I've just opened a different JSON file. Um, uh, and uh, now I'm, I'm just going to go to format and format the document. And it's done a beautiful job on it, 10 out of 10 there. But it's got different highlighting for um, different kinds of, um, you know, properties. So I've got some things which are strings. So one, this is Europe slash London, and that's green. Um, and then I've got something that's false, which is red. Um, and I've got some other things that are true, which are also red because they're booleans. And then I've got some some numbers which are orange. Um, and you know the fact that it can correctly recognize all of those different things and and highlight them, you know, accurately, so that at a glance I can tell what kind of thing this is without needing to you know look for quotes around a number, for example. That just makes it incredibly easy um, and and useful. And so you know I'm personally very appreciative and i think you know m- there are probably more folks using this than they realize even if they've never downloaded runestone itself because i've certainly seen uh several uh developers uh who uh, i'm sure many of us know talking to you on twitter about this and I- i'm sure there are many more who've talked with you uh, you know off of twitter about about using the framework so it's uh I think something that it-, it may have taken quite a bit of your time but especially if it then feeds back into scriptable i think it was well worth it yeah, well, yeah, thanks. I'm I'm glad to hear that you that you find it simple to use. That was really the the whole point. I think if you are a user that has um, more advanced text editing needs on your iPhone and iPad, you should definitely look at something like Texttastic that you um, mentioned earlier. That that's really the at least to me that's the BB edit of um, of the iPhone and iPad. That's a 
It's uh, an app that has existed for many years. It's a super good app developed by a, a great developer, Alexander, who has also helped me out on parts of uh, RuneStone when I got stuck, um, you know, understanding parts of the, the text layout system. Alexander is a, is, is a super great person and a great developer, and Textastic is a great app. So I think more, RuneStone, I think more of that as like, um, on the Mac, you might have uh, you have text edit, and then you might have as a developer you have a more powerful um, text edit. So it could be Nova, VS Code, or whatever. And I think RuneStone is more like the text edit on steroids. It's for the it's for the times that you don't need a full fledged powerful editor, but you just need something simple. And for some people that might be enough. But mm-hmm. if if it isn't, and if you have more powerful needs than that, or more advanced needs than that, then there are other editors um, that you might appreciate more. Yeah, uh, I'm very pleased to hear that the developer of Textastic was helpful. I thought I remembered um, that it, that I'd seen a couple of those conversations um, going on. And it's it's always so nice to me to see uh, developers within the indie developer community helping each other out because it does lead to great apps for it for everyone. Uh, there, so you know that that's certainly well worthwhile. And uh, yeah, it's 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 always interesting. I kind of feel like um, uh, that uh, Runestone is more like uh, Text Wrangler was when um, the folks at Bare Bones had Text Wrangler and BB Edit. Like Text Wrangler was oh, yeah. kind of like the mini version um, of it, uh, which was the one that was available for free and everything. And they've they've since rolled everything into BB Edit, and Text Wrangler is no longer. Um, but um, you know it. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Text Wrangler in, in some ways, which is yeah. quite nice and certainly meant as a compliment. <laughs> Thanks. Text Wrangler. I had completely forgotten about that. Uh, a lot That's of a people did, I think. <laughs> great app. That's right. Uh, it was a good app, though. But you yeah. still get it. You know, you just get BB at it and then you add on the features if you want them. Oh yeah, sure. Well, I mean, BB Edit has everything that Text Wrangler had, and it's yeah. got all the extra features too. Um, yeah. You know, it, it it always did. That was that was the thing, and it was kind of, I guess, a, a different build with some of the the things turned off, um, and and a different icon, a different name. Um, I I don't really know. I did. I don't really remember looking into it all that much. And uh, I used Text Wrangler for a few years on my work machine when uh, I worked somewhere that wouldn't let me have BB Edit installed. Um, I'm not quite sure why they wouldn't let me have BB Edit installed, but either way, I did eventually convince them to see the error of their ways. And fortunately, I now get to use RuneStone whenever I need to as well, which definitely makes my life easier. This episode of Automators is brought to you by ExpressVPN. You've probably heard by now that you should be using a VPN when you connect to the internet. But adding an extra step to anything you do every day can sound like a hassle. Well, if you knew how easy it was to protect your connection with ExpressVPN, you'd be doing it already. ExpressVPN is the easiest way to browse safely, securely, and just better. Uh, One of the things that I love about ExpressVPN is just working around those silly geolocation blockers that say, you need to be in the United States of America to view this page because we do not agree with GDPR or cannot support it, or whatever it is, or just catching up with that series on Netflix that for some reason isn't available here even though it was 15 minutes ago. Well, that's something I can do with ExpressVPN. And ExpressVPN gets rid of all those things that you hate about VPNs. It's a VPN done right. First of all, it's blazing fast. Lots of other VPNs slow your connection down to the point where it's not even worth it to connect. But ExpressVPN doesn't lag or buffer. You can stream in HD with no issues. And using it couldn't be easier. Just open the ExpressVPN app, tap one button, and enjoy instant protection across all of your devices. The fact is, once you connect to ExpressVPN, you don't even realize you have it on. 
but your connection is secure, your data is encrypted, and you can spoof your location so you've got access to any content available outside of your region. No wonder it's been called the best VPN by CNET. Right now, go to expressvpn.com slash automators and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash automators to get those three extra months of ExpressVPN. expressvpn.com slash automators. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Well, I mentioned earlier DataJar, and I'm such a huge fan of this application. Uh, sometimes people have trouble understanding it, you know, uh, what it does and how it relates to shortcuts. Simon, explain DataJar. Yeah, um, how to explain DataJar? It's 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 a database um, for DataJar. It's a like a key value storage. Um, a very generic key value storage. You can store your strings. Booleans, numbers, and so on, and it's designed for and obviously integrates with shortcuts. And it's, it's yeah, it's it's a really shortcuts focused um, database. I, I, yeah, yeah, that, that's, like that's glo- basically it. Global yeah. variables for shortcuts is the way I was thinking about it. Yeah. it's like you can put your phone number in data jar, your address, anything that you're going to repeatedly call in a shortcut. And so, like, let's take the phone number as an example. Let's say that you're in sales and you've written a bunch of email shortcuts, and the the email includes your phone number in it. And let's say you got twenty of them, and then your phone number changes, right? Or your employer changes, or something. So you want to get your customers your new phone number. Well, you could go in and block and copy and paste twenty times, or you could, when you build them being a future thinking automator, just use data jar and have it call the variable for your phone number. And then when your phone number changes, you change the phone number and data jar and all those shortcuts just magically have the new data. And um, this is something that is shockingly not in shortcuts. You know, the idea of a memory of a variable across different shortcuts. Mm-hmm. And uh, Simon scratched that it so well that I don't care if Apple ever fixes it because <laughs> I'm super happy with data jar. But I mean, it's yeah. just, it's just a little problem. And, and I do think that like, you know, when we talk about things like scriptable, some people will say, well, JavaScript, I don't know how much I'm going to do that. Look, data jar is something everybody who owns shortcuts or makes a shortcut can use because it's just, just what I said. It's a, uh, it's a little jar full of data. That fact, maybe that's how you came up with a name, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. For me, one of the the most useful things about DataJar is the fact that I can go into DataJar at any point and see what my data is. Um, and I can see it very, very simply and very easily. And I can see that on any of my devices, not just the device that that had the shortcut that created that or or updated it or or whatever because um some of the things that i i struggle with sometimes um with with some of the other solutions you know i've tried storing things in files in icloud and so on and and so forth and sometimes like you have to wait for the file to download and i i just want to just quickly manually edit something and i don't have to do that through shortcuts you know i can do that through shortcuts i'm certainly capable of doing it but i can just open up data jar and I can see things and I can easily edit it. So recently I was uh, traveling for the first time in a while and I realized that my airline check-in script um, hadn't hadn't done what it needed to do, which is add a reminder into due when I should be able to check in. And I very I, I, I just popped into data jar 
And I, I checked, I've got a little uh, section called airline check-in. That's one of the keys in the key value store. And then I looked in it and the value for this is, uh, it's actually a dictionary. Okay. So it has, um, you know, a, a number of keys like uh, LH for Lufthansa and OS for Austrian and and, and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, then each of the values there is a number. And I realized it was very simple. I was flying with um, Scandinavian Airlines and they just weren't in here. SK was not present. So I added SK, ran it again, and bam, it worked. And then on my way home, um, you know, my automations had already picked up that there was a flight in my calendar and the G reminder had been added and I got notified that I was supposed to check in. Um, and uh, that, that solved it. Um, you know, but I'm easily able to just pop in and see at a glance, what what is you know what I've got here and what I've not got, and I use DataJar for so many things. Like all of my API keys, I store in DataJar, so I never accidentally share like my Airtable API key with mm. everybody and let everybody delete everything that's in our shortcuts Airtable. That would be bad. Um, but uh, I also have you know um, like uh, different Wi-Fi addresses and what they equate to back from uh, when uh, like location wise uh, from when getting your location and shortcuts took a very long time. That's that's been improved. But I've also got you know I've, I've got a dictionary here which has um, all of my work notes because I have a work note automatically created every single day and I have the ID of that work note stored with the date, so I can easily grab. Um, the work note. Um, but when I run the shortcut, if the work note isn't there, then it goes and it creates it and it saves it into data jar. So it should have been created automatically, but just in case it'll, you know, it, it'll look it up and, you know, you've got that, that function with shortcuts. You've created uh, a shortcut action to check if there is a value um, and also to get a value and you can have it not fail if the value isn't present. Um, and I really mm. appreciate, you know, that the, the little bit of extra thought that you've put in there that maybe somebody doesn't actually want to crash their shortcut if this value isn't there. Maybe <laughs> they figured out a way of handling this. And so you either let people, you know, be slightly, you know, cautious about it and just check, hey, does this thing exist? OK, if it exists, then I'm going to get it. Um, or I'm just going to get this. If it's empty, it's fine. I'll deal with it later. Um, and, uh, you know, that you've you've built in you know, both both approaches there for however people like to, to automate their things. Yeah, that was one of the things that became quite obvious when, when I started using the app myself, that I could, I, I mean, I had this check if value exists uh, action from almost day one, and it was quite easy to use and build, you know, if value exists, then do this, otherwise do that. But it was quite a few steps, and I thought, well, I'm, I can quite easily solve this within the app by basically wrapping that if statement into the app and then only able to do it once and never again in my uh, shortcuts unless I really need it. Mm. Yeah, so that, that became quite obvious from from using it. Yes, yes. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's just one of those things where uh, if, if you go through and, and you look, um, you know, like if you if I tap and hold on any value in data or uh, any of those tiles in DataJar, then I can copy the key and I can copy the value, but I can also copy the, the key path because I can nest data. So if I want to put, you know, uh, I have a top level key for work and then inside of work, I've got various different things, including daily notes. And then inside of daily notes, it's a dictionary and I've got the date and I've got that 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 ID. Um, so I can, you know, copy, you know, the, the key to get me all the way down or I can just what I did. I copied the key for uh, daily notes. So it's work dot daily underscore notes because that's how I wrote my keys. Um, and then inside of shortcuts, mm. I put dot and then I've just got the date and then it just looks it up and it, it tries to get it. Um, and, you know, I really appreciate how easy you have ended up making this force um, because so many people need uh, data that they can access across more than one shortcut. 
you know, if you if you want to put some data down and then pick it up again later, then you can do that. Um, and uh, you know, I, th- I think that th- this is just very useful. I for a long time the way I was working around focus modes and not being able to get my current focus mode on iOS is every time a focus mode turned on, it would store my current focus mode into a key called focus in data jar <laughs> and it would write <laughs> it in there. And when my focus mode ended, um, it would uh, 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 remove it or it would unset it. And then, you know, a new focus mode starting um, would would set it. And uh, yeah, this, this, was, this was certainly uh, a hack to work around a problem. Uh, it was not perfect. I, I ran into some issues where if you stopped a focus mode and started another focus mode, sometimes the new focus mode starting shortcuts automation would run before the stop focus mode shortcuts automation had run. Um, mm. And so I, I had to put uh, something, I ended up putting a, a date time in there and just saying, okay, if this changed in the last 10 seconds um, and it's got a value, don't change it again. Because otherwise, like I would end my uh, fitness f- uh, focus mode and start my, um, uh, I, I, I can't remember, I think it was my personal focus mode. Um, and uh, yeah, my, I, I just have no focus mode available inside of uh, Data Drive. But yeah, it's it's really nice that you've got all of the, the abilities to, you know, view a value or just get all of the keys in here and count how many values there are and, and so on, just to make it a little bit easier on everybody. Uh, because I think a lot of people get really hamstrung with shortcuts and not being able to save some data for later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I'm, I'm completely speechless hearing you talking about all of this. Uh, that That's a great um, gr- great use of data jar. And it's, it's like that when I listen to this show normally... Um, it's like data jar comes up occasionally and every time I'm so impressed uh, hearing you talk about it because you're, you're using it in ways that I never thought of. And my use of data jar is actually quite simple. It's You mentioned earlier that you're using it there or were using it. Um, I mean, it doesn't really matter, but at least you, you were using it to store uh, API keys. And that's mm-hmm. uh, more or less how my use uh, of data jar started. That's how I uh, that's the reason I wanted to develop it because I found myself in in the early days of shortcuts. We were posting our shortcuts, um, screenshots of our shortcuts. We were sharing them yeah. and so on. Um, and I didn't want my my screenshots to include my API keys, obviously. Um, hmm. So I thought that I need somewhere else to store these. Uh, and actually, I want to reuse them across my shortcuts, which is another was another problem in itself. And that's that's the reason I built Data Jar, and then I just kind of tried to think of it in more or less the most generic way that I could with this JSON-like structure. Um, so hearing people's use of of Data Jar just blows my mind because it's it's being used in ways that I never really uh, thought of or really, yeah, I almost wanted to say intended for. Um, <laughs> I guess I kind of did because I built it generic, but it's like people are really storing a lot of data in, in data jar. Um, yes. And that's... What are... I, I know Rose is a fringe case because she's Rose, right? And she's going to find these great <laughs> ways to use it. But um, what are some of the other interesting ways you're hearing from people that use data jar? What kind of data are they putting in? Um. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've I've seen lots of different cases, um, but in, in some way they all have have a thing in common because uh, at the end of the day, it's just storing data, right? It's just storing yes. uh, strings. But people are building like entire um, databases of their, you know, favorite movies or health data, even like keeping track of things. Um, people have built uh, pill trackers around data jar. Um, 
I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of different use cases. Um, but yeah. there, you know, there are some that goes again. I mean, I think one of the most common ones is actually storing API keys. Uh, mm. that, that seems like a common problem. Yes, yes. I, I ran in somebody the other day. I don't remember where it was. I think it was on Reddit. And they were they were asking if um, something could uh, hook into uh, the mail app on, on iOS um, because they wanted to manage all of their email with DataJar. And I just sort of looked at that and I didn't reply to it, but I was so tempted to reply with, I don't think that you're solving this problem quite the right way. Because that felt like it was very much the, uh, to go back to the earlier analogy, building the automation machine to move the rocks when all you need to do is move <laughs> the rocks from A to B. It, it did feel slightly over the top there. But also, you know, however however you want to solve a problem, right? If if it scratches the itch, then go for it. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those things that, you know, I, I, I look at how I use data jar and in some ways I'm probably, you know, abusing it beyond its intended uh, capacity. I certainly nest lots of data, um, in, in many places, but I also, you know, find that it is so useful to be able to, to just quickly, you know, throw some data in here and I've got plenty of data. I should probably actually just create a temp key. Um, and for anything that I'm just like messing with, put it under the temp key and then I can clear it out periodically. Um, but, but, uh, you know, it, it is, you know, so interesting looking in here, you know, I've, I've, I uh, got uh, a list of my OmniFocus sh- shopping projects um, in here um, and their IDs. Um, and uh, clearly that's for some automations that are very much still in progress slash forgotten about and abandoned somewhere in my shortcuts folders. Um, but, you know, it's 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 amazing um, seeing, you know, what people have done before I had CarPlay. I built my own sort of uh, CarPlay system using DataJar and shortcuts Mm. um, and maps um, to to give me like a list of my favorites so I could tap on any of my favorites um, and it would, you know, get me directions to that address that was pulled out of uh, DataJar um, and and so on and so forth. Um, And, uh, you know, it's it's amazing what somebody will do with an app and uh, how, how much the developer will simultaneously <laughs> despair and be amazed. Uh, fortunately, I don't seem to have quite scared you off yet today, which is good. Um, but uh, no, yeah, no, no, I, no. I'm, I'm finding DataJar really solves a lot of uh, a lot of the data problems that I have. You know, the, the airline check-in one, all I'm doing is I'm just looking at my calendar um, for anything that's a flight. Um, and then it, it, it just matches the flight number and pulls out the first two letters, which it looks up in DataJar. Um, and that's, you know, actually surprisingly easy to do thanks to the fact that I know that this data is here and I can quickly look in data jar and just, you know, see whether or not, um, I'm, I have that. And in the case of that particular flight, I didn't have it. Um, so, you know, I, I was able to, uh, to, to fix that very quickly. Um, but you know, it's, it's very nice to just have a way to go look at this data because it's not hidden from me. It's, it's right there where I need it. Um, and I can look at it on all of my devices too, which is great. Um, and uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so thank you. Sure. And and this is like the thing that I enjoy the most about building the kind of apps that I do, it being like scriptable or data jar. Um, these, all of my apps have this thing in common that they're really in some way developer tools, some more than others. Um, but the most interesting thing about building these are, is that I never really know how people end up using them. And it it always turns out that they'll use it in ways that I haven't uh, ever dreamt of. Or, um, the same thing goes for scriptable. Uh, I, might u- I might build it with some use cases in mind, but then, you know, one day a support mail seeks in with someone who either is already using it in, in ways that I couldn't imagine or have this idea for a small thing um, that would just make it useful in a completely different way. 
and that's that's just that's the biggest joy uh, I get as a developer. That's like building one thing, and people are just inventing their own things with this. It's like uh, I'm I'm really just building the tools. I'm not really building the end product uh, when it comes to data jar or scriptable. The end product there is really the the scripts that people are are writing or the shortcuts that they're building on top of data jar and. It's just impossible to to imagine all all the things that people can build with this. But it's a great joy hearing hearing stories like that. I think what we're going to have to do, Simon, um, when when this show goes up, is we're going to have to put some posts up in the forums because uh, we we have some mini sections in the forums uh, for uh, you know scriptable and 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 so mm. on. So we're going to have to put up some extra posts uh, just specifically for scriptable and and data jar. And let's let's throw up ones for Runestone, and uh, we'll we'll get to JSON in a minute too, and just get people to post in those of all the different ways that they're using it because I have a feeling that we're going to blow your mind and hopefully in the best <laughs> possible way because uh, there are so many people using all of these great apps um, that you've built. Oh, yeah, that would be great. I also think, you know, uh, Simon, you do a really good job of intermediating for those of us that are not programmers. Like, And, and the, the last app I want to discuss is JSON or JSON. I don't know how you pronounce it because there are JSON files, which are very cryptic uh, if you're not working in them every day for someone like me. And then you made this app, which is kind of, it's called JSON, J-A-Y-S-O-N, which can take a JSON file and just give you in a very clean fashion all the data out of it that it actually contains. And uh, for someone like me, this is a very useful app because uh, I do like to work with JSON data, but I always sit here scratching my head trying to find it in the middle of all that code. And you just kind of solve the problem for us. What, what led to JSON and... Uh, Am I pronouncing it right? Like, tell me that first. Am I pronouncing it right? How do you pronounce the, the, the this application? Um, I think you're pronouncing it right. I mean, pronounce it basically however you want to. Um, the idea was yeah. that it should be pronounced the same way as the data format, just to make things um, even more confusing. That that's like that was the intention. There um, we have it from the I, maker. I guess Jason. I had like a yeah yeah. <laughs> I was in in an evil corner that that day when I came up with the name. I guess I thought it would be a, a fun prank to name it the same as the file format, but <laughs> but you did spell it differently. So when folks search for it on the App Store, if they search for J A Y S O N, then they'll get the original good JSON app, which is also available on Mac. I should note. So if anybody has got this data, Data Jar and and JSON both available on the Mac. So you know, if anybody's got large bits of data or even not so large bits of data that they want to be able to look at, then then you, you can do that on macOS and iOS and iPadOS. Yeah. Sorry, what was the what was the second part of the, the well, question, David? Well, just um, what you know, what led to the creation of this app? I mean, someone like you, I'm sure, probably can decrypt JSON files pretty easily. Depends. I mean, yeah, if they're formatted uh, well, as as Rosemary um, mentioned earlier, then JSON can be quite uh, easy to read. Uh, yeah, if they're formatted uh, well. And if they're quite small files, uh, mm. when JSON files get big, they can be a bit difficult to na- uh, navigate around, at least when they contain like multiple layers of nested objects. It can be a bit difficult to wrap your head around it in, in a text editor. Um, so that's that's one of the reasons that I that I built JSON. And like um, the reason that it was built for the iPhone and iPad first, it came to the Mac um, afterwards uh, when... When Catalyst was announced, it's it's a Catalyst app, and um, it, it wasn't really intended for the Mac until yeah Catalyst uh, was released. 
the reason that I built it for the iPhone and iPad was uh, partly because of shortcuts and partly because of the iPad in general. So I moved more of my work to the iPad. So I have this um, day job of working as a developer in in an agency, and uh, we are often either communicating with APIs, reading documentation for APIs, uh, poking at APIs using uh, HTTP uh, clients, as, as Rose mentioned earlier, and uh, passing JSON files around to each other to you know investigate some data or debug some issue. And as I was moving part of my work to the iPad, uh, and I fell more and more in, in love with the iPad, I needed some way of easily browsing JSON files because um, there are various different tools available on the Mac and also online tools, but they don't work that well on the iPad. So I wanted something that kind of solved this problem. Um, and yeah, then another part of the reason is shortcuts. JSON was definitely built with shortcuts in mind. Um, so JSON came after shortcuts and it was partly intended as a companion because people were using JSON more on their phone or, and on their iPad all of the sudden because people were, were programming on their phones all of the sudden. Um, and we just I felt like I needed a tool to browse JSON because I don't think shortcuts does that well of a job no. out of the box, honestly. So I, I built various ways of, of doing that with JSON. Um, obviously, it can launch um, JSON from a, from a shortcut, open the app, with the JSON that you provide as input, but you can even get a notification um, within shortcuts that shows you the JSON. So it's like a rich notification on iOS that you can open, and then mm-hmm. without leaving the shortcut, you can kind of browse the JSON. Um, for, for me, one of my favorite settings, um, which uh, I just had to, to dive back into the app to double check, is um, in, in the settings of JSON, you can actually have it default to saving your clipboard. Um, and saving files. Um, and one of the things that I really like to do when I'm building one of these more complex shortcuts, say I'm getting data back from Airtable, is I will have that data then opened in JSON and have it save the file. And then I can jump backwards and forwards between shortcuts and JSON as much as I need to build whatever it is that I'm trying to do. And, you know, um, I, I, I don't remember, did DataJar or JSON come first? I'm, I'm, I'm struggling uh, to remember uh, now what, in what order they came um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it doesn't really matter because, um, you know, what I can do in, in, in JSON, um, same as I can do in, in data jar is I can copy the key path, um, which is something that you couldn't, I don't think originally do in shortcuts, um, where you couldn't just paste, um, like you couldn't say, okay, um, so this would be the top level object, um, has, um, and then, you know, whatever the, the third thing was, you couldn't put this dot has dot cats, for example, and then get the list of cats back that are returned from this fictional API call. Um, mm. but, um, now you can, and I think when, when that was added, you, you immediately, I, I seem to remember, um, it, it may not have been that instantaneous, but I'm going to give you the full credit of my memory and say that you were on the ball and it was out during the beta of, uh, the, the shortcuts, uh, release there, um, where you can, you know, uh, if you, if you tap and hold on something, then you can copy, uh, the value. And I'm pretty certain, that, um, there was also the, uh, the key, um, in there as well, um, where, uh, I managed yeah. to go through and, and copy that, which, just made my life so much easier when I was trying to do all of these things because you know trying to find um, you know what what something's called it's it's very easy you, you might think oh developers they know what they're doing uh, yes but I can't necessarily type 
Um, and just because I saw the word cats does not mean that my brain is not going to substitute the word dogs in its place um, or it's not going yeah. to write cat <laughs> instead of cats um, or something. You know, it's very easy to make a, make a typo there. And I'm really glad that the JSON exists to, uh, to help me, uh, you know, figure out where I'm, where I'm going with all of that. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, I don't really remember the uh, the order of things either. I don't re- I don't even remember which app came first. Um uh I think it was JSON. Um but yeah. Yeah, that that was kind of working with these key paths was uh, no pun intended, but was kind of key in this in this app. Um that it, it wasn't in I think it's 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 a great feature that you can copy the key path or because you can also, can you work with key paths in shortcuts? Yeah, yeah. That was something that you couldn't originally do, but you can now. If you've got oh, yeah, that's what a, you a, a dictionary, yeah, then you can just type, you know, the the full the full path to whatever it is with dots. Because previously you'd have to do get value from dictionary with, say, for example, this. Um, and then you'd have to do get value from dictionary with yeah, yeah, has exactly. as the key and then cats and so on. And then you have to work with your end object, which meant that you had to use lots of dictionary actions, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's certainly uh, very repetitive to do um, as a user. Um, And also, um, if you accidentally moved one of those dictionary actions out of order and you didn't notice, your entire shortcut would just break and crash. Whereas if you know that you are going down to, you know, the seventh level within something and there are keys along the way then it's it's much easier to just type that all into one action and and know that that one action is what does that bit um and and be done with it yeah yeah as you mentioned it it, it isn't a bad thing to use multiple uh, get keys actions but i think if if people are doing this today then definitely give um key paths a, a try because that'll if if you have a, a shortcut where you're using multiple get keys actions you'll find that using a key path will certainly um, clear that shortcut up uh, quite a bit, possibly. Yes, yes, and it speeds it up as well. As a side note, I found um, if you if you oh, have yeah. a lot of the the get uh, value for dic- uh, key from dictionary actions, if you have say six of them and you, you convert it into one, you may not notice a huge improvement. But when that shortcut is being run multiple times, or that section of the shortcut is being run multiple times for say twenty things that came back from um, your Airtable. Then uh, it certainly does uh, get slightly more performant. So yeah, it's well worth it. Yeah, doing. it seems like there's always some some kind of overhead when you drag a an action into your shortcut. Like especially if you have the editor open right and it, it performs the animation, it it just slows down the the, the shortcut a bit. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's certainly uh, one of those things. And as I mentioned, it's very easy to accidentally drag and drop actions out of order. I don't know if either of you have had that. You you thought you tried to scroll <laughs> up. You accidentally moved an action in shortcuts um, and you don't know what you did. So you have to like tap undo and remember if you've done any other changes um, and just try and rem- like move up and down until you find one of those changes. And then you tap undo until you get to that. And then tap redo and keep looking for changes up and down your shortcut to, to see what it was so that you can make sure that you didn't accidentally break everything. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, that that's never happened to me in, in, the, <laughs> la- in the last 12 hours. No. Oh, okay, okay. How, how much of those 12 hours were you asleep and walking your dog, David? Yeah, 11. Asking, asking for scientific purposes. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> that, is, that is crazy. That, that's one of the things I feel like, man, that is such low-hanging fruit and shortcuts is to to lock things and just make there's there's there are ways to solve the problem just you know take a look at keyboard maestro gang you know and uh but yeah that that is vexing 
But you know what? What is yeah. the vaccine is that Simon keeps making great apps that I do oh, believe yeah. help the rest of us get better at automation. And uh, I love what I'm hearing today. I can't wait to see what's next. And uh, Simon, thanks for coming by and, and keeping yeah. us updated on all the cool stuff you're making. Sure, anytime. And thanks so much for having me. It's it's been a pleasure. It's yes. always nice to talk to you. Well, I, I am going to give you some homework, I'm afraid, uh, Simon. Uh, I've seen that you're brewing some Christmas beer um, on, uh, <laughs> you, you posted this on Twitter. So I'm officially yeah. giving you homework. You're going to have to take some time off this Christmas and enjoy your Christmas beer. Um, that's that's the homework I'm giving you. That's the great kind of homework. I'll, I'll make sure to do that. Yes, yes. And if we happen to get a scriptable beta sometime after that, that would be appreciated. But that's not on your homework list. That's the uh, the 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 triple bonus extra credit if it happens and you still get bonus credit for showing up i don't know either way you're certainly not in uh not gonna struggle with the with that homework i hope <laughs> <laughs> you, you will get a beta but probably not <laughs> on this side of christmas that that is entirely fair uh yes especially uh considering you know you you have you have uh you know all of these apps out there it's uh, one of them is also an open source framework um and you know you, you have a day job as well it's impressive how much you are managing to deliver to us on a repeated basis and i'm sure Everybody who is automating things using one of your apps or using RuneStone in an, in another app uh, really, really appreciates it. And I know I certainly do. Yeah. And so just some links, we're going to put them in the show notes, but uh, you can get JSON, J-A-Y-S-O-N dot app at that website. And uh, same thing, scriptable dot app, the website. And um, I believe DataJar is the same, DataJar dot yep. app. And RuneStone. And, and RuneStone. Very clever, Simon. You know what you're doing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he also has a blog over at simonbs.dev. And um, mm-hmm. so that's another place to go. And he, there, he's got links to all his projects. And uh, he does have interesting blog posts, too, on stuff that he's uh, working on or thinking about. So uh, so head over there, gang. Check it out. And really, if you, if you want to you know get better at this automation stuff, check out Simon's apps, whether it's mm. Data Jar or Scriptable. I really feel like there's something in here for everyone that wants to yes. get a little better at this stuff. and. And we are eternally thankful to you, Simon, for the fact that you spend your whole day at work. You come home and you work on these things for us on the side. And uh, we all want to support you as much as we can because we love the stuff you're making. Sure. Thanks. And I'm thankful thankful for for the users using my my apps and for being being invited on this podcast. Thanks a lot. Well, you're more than welcome. We will be having you back at some point in the future. Don't worry, homework uh, notwithstanding, uh, though hopefully you will have enjoyed the beer by the time we get you back on the show. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's always good to keep an eye out uh, on what you're doing. Um, for folks who, who are curious, uh, you, you can also find, follow Simon on Twitter, Simon BS. And I have found some other great apps uh, through some of the developers that I see him talking to as well. So pro tip there for you folks looking to find some other really cool apps uh, follow Simon on Twitter and, and you'll find thousands of them I'm sure <laughs> and we are the automators you can find us at relay.fm slash automators you can find the um, the forums at talk.automators.fm and the website at automators.fm thank you to our sponsors masterclass LinkedIn jobs and ExpressVPN and we'll see you next time